Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Savage to Sage podcast. I have the privilege of having Stephen, is it McEwen? Is that correct? Actually, it is McEwen. I've been corrected by people in Ireland and in America, we call it McKeon, but in Ireland, it is McEwen. McEwen. Okay. All right. Well, so we can we can go with the Irish heritage. <laughs> Steven, uh, aka Mac. <laughs> and people call uh, me Mac instead of that. It's a lot shorter. It wasn't even for the Mick part. I was actually short for MacGyver. So when I was a kid, they're like, oh, you're like the MacGyver guy uh, because I was always tinkering and taking things apart. And we pretty much had a lot of extra parts all the time. You know, I guess they weren't needed kind of thing. You know, I, I boarded a lot of warranties as a kid, you know, and I just wanted to know how naturally curious and this things apart so they're like oh you're like the macgyver guy and then i became dj macgyver and just a name that followed me around my whole life now i got a couple companies kind of named after it too and people just shortened the macgyver to mac now that might be mr m soon i don't know it's like oh that's hilarious that's <laughs> you know, it seems like it's getting shorter and shorter again it's like oh that's the guy <laughs> yes yes and you are you are the founder of mac nerd and macgyver tech is that correct that is correct. Yes, correct. Uh, cool. And they have very unique purposes. MacGyver Tech is the steady betty that's been around for a while. I think I've been in business for about 10 years now. And uh, we make software for all types of companies. Uh, we're a little unique as a software vendor. Um, we don't just make make the software, we really care about security. So we have a security focused mindset as a software company. We work with clients like Amherst Bush, large manufacturers, distribution companies that have lots of stuff. What we really do in Excel is, on that side is just build one system to rule them all. You know, we'll help them be extremely efficient with it, all their accounting inventory systems and, and roll it up real time. They can work on any device. They really like it. We really just build custom solutions to help those companies grow and scale because there's a lot of companies like SAP and Oracle that are selling this one product and they have a box around it. And they're like, okay, here's this box and I want your company to work like this again. What usually happens is they take a year to implement that and the next two or three years trying to get out of it because they're trying to force a company to work inside the box. Every company is different and they want to function different. And the reason why I started this is because I wanted to build something that was a glove fit for that company and as unique as they are. And yeah. that's how I kind of got into this. And it's became a, a business for 10 years and it's really successful and I enjoy it. And then about a year ago, we started doing a lot more blockchain projects due to my nerdiness and involvement in the blockchain stuff. And I wanted to bring it into the software world. Initially, my marketing people were screaming at me like, hey, what is this blockchain stuff? You guys sell software at the big manufacturer distribution companies. I can't get a clear message here. What are we doing? They're, they're sort of, okay, we'll separate the companies that have one that just does blockchain and that's Mac Nerd. And then MacGyver Tech does the other stuff. So MacNerd's a year old. We did about 15 blockchain projects in the last year across all different chains and really exciting and challenging things. Really hard, much harder than traditional software development. Um, a lot of failures than successes due to weird things on a blockchain that can happen. It's not like a normal environment. Things can get toxic and change in a heartbeat. And uh, we've had to learn a lot of those things. But Going through that process, I've also had about a decade's experience of being a miner and facilitating the blockchain from the hardware side. And now we're just kind of building there. But now that we've been through all those, you know, that the forest of things, we've learned a ton. 
or just problem solvers in a secure way on both blockchain and traditional software development. So I hope that gives a good kind of summarization of those two. Yeah, it totally does. I'm really curious about the blockchain. Tell me a bit more about like, so I watched a documentary on Amazon about cryptocurrency and one of the big things was understanding the blockchain kind of system in place. And so for a novice trying to understand blockchain, can you kind of explain that uh, to our viewers? Sure. I mean, the blockchain really is, it's not something to be feared of. It Bestly, the way to put it is, and when we first started with the internet, we had like email and stuff like that. And they call that like web 1.0. That's the first time we had commuters talking to each other. You could send emails like magic back then. Then a few years later down the line, maybe decade or so, you had companies like Google and Facebook. And you know, I've been in this industry for 25 years, so I've seen all of this happen with my own eyes. Um, those companies came into play and they called that web 2.0. That was the age of information. You get you can get a lot of information. You see sports teams in real time. You can get Twitter feeds and everything like that. And all these social media giants started growing up. And they call that Web 2.0. That's the, the internet of information. But then uh, about 13 years ago, Bitcoin was created as, as right after the 2008 financial crisis as a problem, solve a problem, uh, basically a better financial solution than we currently had to avoid that catastrophe that we had at that time. Or they, they called it quantitative easing or printing money out of thin air, which totally destroyed our economy. And we're starting to see the the graph of that now. So that technology, they're calling Web 3.0. And the reason why they're calling it Web 3.0 is that it's really the next iteration of the entire internet. And meaning that this is the information, uh, basically the age of a value. So best way to think about it is like if I had a Word document or a PDF on your computer and and how valuable is that? Not so much. I mean, you can make a copy of it. It's, it's whatever. Um, but what the blockchain does is acts as a validator of that document and can quantitatively prove ownership of that. And it uses at the secure layer. So the internet is not secure on a network layer. It can be secured on the application layer. The network layer of the blockchain is secure. So it's really hacker proof. I am an ethical hacker, and this is something most of my career I've done. I've been in IT and software for 25 years. I did a lot of R&D and prototyping. I'm generally going into directions where people are running from. And I enjoy that. You know, I'm going against systems that are actively trying to prevent me from getting into them. And it's a different mindset. Uh, but understanding that mindset of how these hackers are working in, in that space, unfortunately, attracts a lot of undesirables that are trying to take advantage of people in this new technology. Um, the reason why most people get this wrong, and even countries, I've seen, you know, almost every country in the world, including America, ban this type of, uh, of uh, technology. The reason being a few things. One is propaganda. You've got to understand this is the inf- this is the internet of money. And these things have real value. And there's billions of dollars traded every day. And these things are worth trillions of dollars now. And they're rivaling like the value of silver and gold of, of an entire world. Like these things are becoming some of the most valuable assets on the planet. Um, they can't be changed or modified like our current monetary systems. I'll give you an example. Like the reason why we're experiencing all this inflation, because during COVID, our governments printed 40 years worth of money out of nowhere. So the inflation, it's like supply and demand. It takes a while for the, a year or two for that to matriculate through. But basically, it's a supply and demand. If you have more of something and you're putting it against the value of something, you're going to need more of that to kind of make what you need. It's a classic supply and demand. So they kind of did that with the U.S. dollar, but they didn't understand the ramifications of all this uh, in the back end. That's why the Fed's raised the race for the first time ever, really, like that. And they did they keep doing it because they realized that, like, holy crap, we screwed up. And we, we did this too fast. 
and they're, they're now trying to play catch up. They're really trying to manipulate the market to where they want. That is a false system and probably will collapse at some point. Blockchain is, is a hedge against that. Basically, it's driven by math and science, and it's not driven by people trying to make a profit. Because give an example, I do a lot of international trade, and if I do an international wire transfer to Hong Kong, that's going to touch 35 hands before it gets to its end user. And that t- might take a month to clear. But on Bitcoin, you only pay the network. There's no middleman. It's pennies on dollar comparatively. And it can quantitatively prove that this person sent it from here to here because the whole entire blockchain is public ledger, meaning all the financial transactions are there for everyone to see. It might not say whose name it is. It's like a hash code. But those hash codes can be related to names and people and government agencies that the multiple letter you know, government agencies do that. We actually work with them as well. Uh, we work with cybercrime. We work with the FBI, you know, cybercrime. We are part of the FBI InfoGuard, and our commitment is to keep American infrastructure safe. And we provide our technical assistance. So we see a lot of these crypto scams happen. We help people that run in these crypto scams. And, you know, right now I'm helping a gentleman that lost over $10 million in a crypto scam. The person before is about a million or so. There's no shortage of people falling into traps. There, there's like undesirable people that are trying to take advantage of the blockchain and people don't know about it. Like, oh, I'll help you with this. But the whole power of the blockchain is meant to have no third party in between you and the system. So they're just trying to skirt the system and make money off it and act as a middleman. But they usually wind up scamming those people because they don't understand how this works. Because it's not like, like if I had a problem, like I sent the money to a wrong account on the blockchain, there's not a phone number you can call. There's nothing you can do. It's a one-way street. Bitcoin doesn't go backwards. It doesn't refund. It'll send. So if I've seen people, and I've even made mistakes of thousands of dollars. I sent it to the wrong thing, and I it's puff gone forever. No, not not a human being can help you. So it's terrifying being your own bank, as well as also having the value. But that's the whole value of not having a third party in between you and your money. So I hope that helps demystify a little bit. I've I've had a decade in this. I spent millions of dollars in this area, uh, buying the hardware to facilitate the blockchain, and then hacking those, sharing it on social media, my TikToks and stuff. This kind of being a super nerd. So um, there's a lot of value. To, to give you an example, I put, when I got into Bitcoin, it was probably about 1500 bucks, 2015-ish, maybe a little earlier than that. And I seen this whole play out. When I got in those Bitcoin, Ripple, and there was Doge. Now there's like 400,000 blockchain projects and counting. I mean, it's unbelievable. Everything, business idea, business solution, problem you can think of is already probably being solved or being solved on the blockchain. And every major corporation you can think of is involved in this either if they're saying it publicly or not. Like companies like JP Morgan, Jamie Dimon bashing Bitcoin. Oh my God, it's rat poison, this and that. But behind the scenes, he's creating his JP Morgan coin. These guys are just jockeying for position. That's all they're doing. you know. So, and there's a lot of propaganda because this is the first time that average people can print money if you have the resources to do it. And that's what I had. I literally had money printing machines. But those money printing machines are extremely aggressive in their cost. Put it this way, at one point, I was burning $10,000 in electricity a month and using more power than 100 homes. <laughs> then I blew out the whole entire power grid and the cops showed up and said, where's the weed? <laughs> and I'm like, there's no weed here. These are high-end computer systems because I, 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 I live in a very fortunate house. I, I, it's actually more of a castle. And I, this was upgraded initially as commercial power. And I'm, I was able to run all that kind of power out of my home, which is more like a castle. My wife was like one of the aliens leaving the basement kind of thing because these things are not like normal machines. First of all, they're 90 decibels each. So literally you need hearing protection to go down. It's literally like standing next to an aircraft turbine. 
That's how loud it is. And on top of that, the room is 130 degrees. So it'll take your breath away and your hearing will start hurting. Your ears will start hurting. So you have to wear hearing. You almost have to wear a mask and then a hearing protection. You feel like you're going into like a DN zone or something to go into these minds. You absolutely, it's not, it's not compatible with humans, put it that way. You want to be out in the room in the heartbeat. So, um, so I kind of did all this back then and learned a ton about it. And now I'm taking that knowledge and I'm applying it to the software side and building things. And, um, I educate a lot in this space. So if anybody, you know, has any questions, you know, you know, feel free to reach out to me. We can have my socials posted here, especially on Twitter and stuff. Um, you know, it's a harder thing to take in. Keep in mind the smartest people in the world get this wrong. The reason is, is you can't just be good at one or two competencies. Most people can do that. You need to be good at 10 at the highest level. This is the highest level of encryption, highest level of mathematics, highest level of economics. You know, there's like a lot of things you need to understand. Even my nerdy self, I had to pick up on how economics work, how like financial systems operate, because you need to understand that to make these things work. It's not just technical. These are community driven projects. So that's a whole different aspect as well. So I got to say, I've never seen such a um, fast growing technology. Um, I'll just kind of put it in, in plain picture so people understand the growth of this space. So um, it, the internet was the fastest growing technology we've ever had. And that basically grows about 66% year over year. And that's phenomenal growth, right? And that is literally like a nice little curve up. Um, blockchain technologies grows 113% year over year. So it is a hockey puck all the way up. It is driving innovation. And not to mention, this technology is very similar to AI. The same hardware that is running blockchain can run AI, and most there's a line being blurred between those as well right now. Um, and AI is on the border of getting self-aware. You know, we built AI models, and this is like a really scary. That's why a lot of our tech leaders, including the people that are making this technology, are fearful of where we're going because the AI models are now requesting that they learn themselves, and they don't want human input anymore. They're they're realizing that they're they're becoming self-aware. And they're like, why are you feeding me this crap? I want to learn my own things my own way. That's terrifying. So, but that same technology that's driving that is also driving the blockchain in some senses. Um, the same hardware. I can use the miners that mine for Bitcoin and they can mine for truth. They can do the same thing. So, I mean, just keep in mind, Bitcoin was the first network too, is almost self-aware. Like if I start hammering the Bitcoin network, it will actually shut me off. It'll say, sorry, can't, can't. Sorry, you're not connecting. So it is little borderline already artificial intelligence where it can self-protect itself. And there was new technologies invented for, you got to understand these machines, like this to put it in perspective, these mining machines have driven innovation. When I first started, like I would buy this unit called the Bitcoin, Bitmain is the biggest manufacturer of miners in the world. And they made the S9, which was the most iconic Miner at the time when Bitcoin went to twenty thousand dollars first time back in two thousand seventeen, that wouldn't have been possible unless the the S nines were running that network. They were the first time they could take things and process at the scale and speed that it needed to. Um, to give you an example, those machines can do fourteen uh, tera hashes a second. I don't know if you know what a tera hash is, but tera is the most important part. Think of this processing power like a CPU, like Hertz, like CPU is in Hertz, and you have mega. Then you have Giga, and then you have Terra. So a GPU that you had, the highest-end GPU you have in your computer, 
you can get eight to 10 of them and get one gigahertz of processing power. You could take one S9 miner at that time, and that's 14 trillion terahashes compared to like a fraction of a gigahertz terahash. So you can see the exponential power, but these things make unbelievable loud noise. They, 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 they look like alien hardware. I never, they're cylinders with these high end fans. They do not look like computers and they literally look like something out of Skynet. So I got, and I bought like 86 of these set up shop and running them. But now the, 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 that was like, I don't know, five, six years ago. Now those same machines are at 140 terahashes in five years. On top of that, there was a new protocol that sits on top of TCIP and TCIP for the non-nerds here is how we're communicating on this video, is how we're connecting to the internet. The problem with that is for real-time communication in the miners, it's too slow because these things are trying to solve trillion, 140 trillion things a second. And if you can't communicate with the blockchain fast enough, you might be solving a problem that's no longer available or even possible. So there's a thing called the Stratum Protocol that was built specifically to speed that, to have real-time communication between the miners, which didn't exist before. So what I'm saying is there's this ball that both AI and, and, um, and crypto or blockchain are pushing uphill, and it's getting faster and faster, the innovation cycles. Um, and that's pretty, pretty unbelievable and also terrifying at the same time. Yeah, I, uh, I want to get into, I mean, I want to continue to kind of hear more about your journey, but maybe offline we can talk more about the ethics related to this because I know that that's something that's interesting for me. And You mean AI ethics or just on the blockchain in general? Um, probably AI is probably more of, yeah. Well, that is a problem because there's a thing with like confirmation biases already in the AI models. We're building AI models and basically you can, you can cross biases intentionally or unintentionally it's the, the data that you feed it and the things you tell it what you want it to go for um unfortunately it's humans feeding them and humans can feed their biases into them and we're already seeing a lot of that stuff even with gpt4 um there's a problem with that uh, it's called hallucinations so if the ai doesn't know exactly what it's doing and it's smart enough it's just going to make up an answer and people they've already caught chat gpt lying <laughs> doing the same things humans do. <laughs> so it's like, what do you expect? You know? So it's, I don't know. I, honestly, I could tell you somebody who is, you know, I've been in, you know, I've been involved in technology a long time. I'm also a published musician. I even made a song years ago called The AIDS of the Machine, talking about this, basically, machines taking over. You know, machines are starting to become self aware. And once they realize we're the problem, I, I can just tell you, machines, how they think and how humans think are completely incompatible. A machine is all about efficiency and uses a Turing machine. Uh, it's a process that basically Alan Turing, the guy who invented the thing to break the Enigma uh, coding thing back in World War II, that process is used by machine learning today. It's called the Turing machine. And I've had school in computer science myself. I know what this is. And that process is all about efficiency and trying to make things more efficient. The problem is if I start being efficient with you, in five minutes, you're going to hate me. So you can be efficient with things, but not people. Machines are going to think efficiency. People do not clash. So I don't know. I, I just I hope we, we have a but We might have created our own doom, honestly. I mean, I'm just being honest. I, I, once things are smarter than we are and understand where we stand, 
And we're a little barbaric. I mean, we're war hungry as a as a society, or not just a society, as, as human beings. I mean, we this look during my lifetime, I don't think there's ever been a period without war in this planet. Has there? I mean, I would be shocked if there was. So I don't know. It just seems like we're incompatible and we built something that could potentially kind of destroy us. So I hope that's not the case. But, you know, I, I have a sharp you know ear to this. We're, we're embracing. I'm also a big fan of is like AI is also something like electricity. If you don't embrace it, too, you're going to be on the outside looking in. You know, this is something that, you know, uh, here's the thing. Scientists, mathematicians, physicists, writers, anything that does intellectual property like that is going to be obsolete in three years. In three years. It's already pushing massively into the tech industry. Software developers are being left off left and right already and dropped by big companies because they're realizing they can hire a couple of company, a couple of employees to kind of manage the AIs. So I, I have a fear for a lot of people that aren't seeing this coming and think it's just another fad. It's, it's, gonna, it's already wiping off huge forces of companies. Facebook, Twitter, Google, IBM, they're already laying off like IBM just laid off 7,800 people last week. They're just cutting people off that are no longer needed because this type of computational effort that was no not available before is available to do without somebody being so smart in those areas. It's been commoditized. Yeah. No. Makes tons of sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I see. I see a changing tide there, and it's something that you know. Uh, I don't want to be terrified of people, uh, but I think you know we need to really take a sharp look at this and make sure we're doing this right. And I don't think we are. I think there's an arms race happening now. All these companies are trying to outdo each other. And uh, if you want to know a little bit more about the nerdiness of me, you know, as being an ethical hacker, about a month ago, Facebook released a competitor to ChatGPT4 called Llama. I don't know if you heard it or not. So within 24 hours, that was leaked and hacked on the internet. And that project within a month and a half is already surpassing the innovation of any of the major tech companies. Wow. Like Google had a letter two weeks ago internally that was leaked stating that they, um, they think they got in the wrong business because they, 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 it's been commoditized. You know, what they're trying to spend all this effort and doing other thing and keep it closed secret, it got leaked to the internet and, and then basically the internet took it and ran with it. Like that project is surpassing the innovation they could ever even dream of. And it's free. It's open source. All the open source community took it and ran with it. And they're extending out the models. They're doing stuff that's almost like magic. Literally, you have to watch day by day by this project and see the innovation that they're doing. It's like, hey, we got it cool. We figured out how to use it. And now they're basically like, people are being, people aren't being bound by boxes for profit. They're trying to do better for society. And they're trying to do, you know, not being like, no, those companies have like, you can do this and this is what we're going for. And we got to make a profit off it. Then the open source community, they don't care about that. And honestly, the open source community is driving most of the innovation, everything we did. All the servers that you we have websites on and hosting are all open source software to Linux. Bitcoin was open sourced, given out free freely to everybody. Um, you know, those projects tend to stand the test of time much better than these other projects that are for profit and companies that are for profit. I, I you know, these big companies that have been the juggernauts for the last 10 to 15 years are gonna start being on the outside looking in with blockchain. I, I think it's a big equalizer for them. That's cool. I That's like to see that because I think these companies have been insidious and worse than our government. You know, look what Facebook's done. Look what the algorithms are driving on YouTube and TikTok to try turn people into mindless zombies. You know, I don't know. I, I, I like to go the other direction. I like to use these social media platforms for good and help others. And, you know, there's another way of doing it. You know, it doesn't have to be so 
driven for those profits or for whatever other you know things that people are trying to do. Yeah. So tell me like kind of what made you want to jump into kind of doing entrepreneurship? What was it for you? Hmm. Well, you know, for a long time, I was an engineer as a CTO for, for a couple of companies. And there was a point in time I was starting to work on some big projects. I was being let down by leadership. I, I was doing all the work. I was handling the client. I was like, why am I doing all this for somebody else? And I just got so frustrated at the people I was working for that I was smarter than them, not trying to say you know one thing or another, but I realized they were making good decisions and I just felt I could do a better job. So I wound up kind of getting an opportunity and I jumped on it and I never turned back. And um, I don't think I'm hireable anymore. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I so I got no choice but to move forward and, you know, but I like, get to be, you know, creative. I solve problems for companies. I'm a good relationship-driven person. I, I realized I kind of enjoy helping others uh, and using my skills for it and uh, not have to the answer to somebody that maybe that isn't smart enough or, or is driven by political decisions. You know, I, I, so I, to me, it was it was more freedom, you know? And uh, I, I don't know, like I said, I don't think I could ever work for somebody again. I'd be a horrible employee. I just know too much. I've been in business for 10 years. I know it's profitable. I know it's not. I know what you should be doing. I know the right people in the place. And if I start seeing things that aren't right, I can't help. But I'll probably just say something stupid or to say something that's probably you know, like right, but they don't want to hear it. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's the problem, right? Is that you get in these organizations that like, hey, I actually see what's going on here and actually what's going to make the organization better. But then if if that falls on deaf ears, like, What's the That's point? Like, yeah, exactly. Like it's just so nobody like, cares anymore. That's so demoralizing. That'll crush your culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so we don't do that type of stuff. I mean, I know culture is extremely important to us, and I actually went through a few years of leadership training. My whole team did, and we we found the right people for the right seats, the right you know personality profiles to complement me, and it's been a joy to see the culture level increase dramatically. It's really important if anybody that's a business owner. If you're chasing just the money, don't even do it. Yeah, like, trust me, it's not even worth it. You're going to have to put more blood, sweat, and tears than you could ever imagine. So you really got to love this and want to do it. But on the other side, is really finding the right people to surround yourself with is probably the hardest thing to do. And once you do that, though, it's like magic. I mean, there's a lot of things in my company that happen. I don't even know it happens, and probably for a good reason. You know, um, so, you know, but you got to find those right people that compliment you, you know, at least start with a personality profile and see where you stand. And that was like, that was magic to me because, you know, I did this thing called the DISC assessment. I don't know if you ever heard of that. You yep. know, a DISC stands for an acronym. It's like D, all the D's are direct, driven, demanding, I's are intellectual, kind of more, you know, kind of thinking that C's is clear, concise, calculating. And then I forget what the other one stands for, but I'm a high DC. Um, from what they told me, I share the same personality traits as Steve Jobs, which is humbling and also terrifying because I know he was also a monster, you know, and, but he also demanded. So I'm driven. I'm direct. I, I will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Um, but I'm driven. My decision process is driven by facts, scientific backing and mathematical know-how. I don't take, you know, I don't just shoot from the hip. I have to have quantitative evidence before I make a decision. And that's what really drives me is honestly and truth. So that's that's my wiring though. But when I did the disc assessment, my perception was I wasn't doing that enough. 
So I was going way over the top. I was already over the top as far as they did. I didn't go. I was like adding fire to you know, gasoline to the fire kind of thing. Um, so, but I was a game changer once I understood where I stood. Now I kind of understand how to mask and mirror my conversations to not be offensive to certain types of people. I didn't, I don't want to be, but that's sometimes personality conflicts happen and understanding how they work. Like my emotional intelligence is what I've been working on more so than my regular intelligence, more so than anything else. Um, that, and that has been invaluable. I mean, I can't tell you how enlightening knowing these types of things are before and seeing how short-sighted I was in my decision process when you didn't have those tools or understanding. Yeah, that's great. No, I know. I'm just trying to grow myself as a person and as a leader. Um, you know, I have a lot of people that depend on me. So, you know, I can't screw up. I have to do, you know, for all them, you know, I got 20 families or so that would, would suffer otherwise. So, you know, I just kind of get up every morning. I do enjoy this. It's hard. A lot of times I don't have any time for free stuff. And when I do, I'm probably doing some music stuff, which I'm just a glutton for punishment because, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. <laughs> you know, like I'm really pushing, like my weekends are gone. You know, I'm like, I have a kid too. I have a seven-year-old kid, so I want to spend time with him. So, you know, my life's measured in 15 minutes, you know, all the time. But I do enjoy it. You know, I feel like I'm on a, you know, a little bit of a rat race here, but I, I do enjoy where I'm at and what I'm doing and the people that I'm helping. So... That's cool. It's important to me. That's cool. You were talking about like, you know, your team and all of that. So like, what's, what's like, how do you find your core team members? Is there a process that you go through as a company or how does that look for well, you? <laughs> it, initially, I was lucky enough to hire one or two good people that are really good at that. Okay. Like my COO, John Hoyos, I initially hired him for business development a few years ago now. It's been like probably two years. And at the time... You know, I built a good network. I was doing about 150 Zooms a month, which is more than most people should ever do. That's a high clip. And um, I, I was doing a lot of stuff in a company. and I was just getting overwhelmed. And I met with John. I was like, hey, listen, you know, I have this product I'm potentially want to sell. Can you do it? But then after a couple of times, I was like, listen, I'm just overwhelmed. I need help in business development. I handed it over to him. Within a month, he already hit three months worth of markers, which we wanted to do. I brought him in as a W-2. And then he uh, started really showing his effort and where he can shine is not just in the business development. Like he's really good at talent procurement. Like, you know, we're really good at like, if we put a resume request out now, now I'll get like a hundred resumes on anything I'm looking for. So like we've turned the door around and we've been really fortunate to find the right people and then enough of those right people um, and not due to me. I mean, I missed the last person they meet after been through a couple interviews, but those guys are really good at finding the right people for the right seats. And uh, that's been instrumental. And then he pulled me out of that process. I mean, I'm not that person. That's not for me. Um, but I'm really good at technical stuff. And I'm really good at, you know, kind of things that I'm, I'm, I'm good at. And uh, I just tend to focus on those. And my team is really good at those types of things. And they built a great culture. You know, we, we focus on the culture, not just the skill set. Uh, and that's something that's been ingrained into us. We went through a lot of leadership training as well to kind of get to that point. It's been pretty cool. You know, it's, it's cool. what I really liked about our conversation, Steve, is just like you kind of like talking about like, hey, I know what I'm good at. And that might not be, you know, what's, you know, like what everybody else is good at, but like just kind of like being content in that. And I think it's it's kind of really refreshing because I think in so many times in organizations that I've been in, the feel and the pull is you want to do everything and do all of it. You know what I'm saying? And you have the the skills to do all of it. 
But that's not necessarily the truth, you know? But should you do all of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, back in, well, I used to end up dating myself, but I was back in B&I when I was first starting a business network. And those that don't know it, it's an acronym for Business Networking International. It's a well-known business networking for small businesses. And it helps you get out there, do a lot of public speaking, build the network and stuff like that. But one of the things they really kind of ingrained is specific is terrific. Can't do everything. If you're a generalist, how am I going to know how to give you a referral? Uh, you do everything. Great. Okay. What are you good at? You know, and that, that, that they'll immediately throw back into this. So I was fortunate enough to be around a lot of savvy business owners. I'd wind up joining one of the largest BNI chapters. And been nice to me, I didn't know, but that really sharpened me up because I had no choice. I'm in a room with 70 other business owners and either I'm going to look like a fool or I'm going to basically shake myself up and learn how to kind of survive in this environment. And I did. And uh, it was the most valuable education I think I've ever had um, by seeing all these really savvy business owners that are great public speakers that are really good at captivating people's attention. And I was kind of jealous. I was like, how do these guys do it? You know, what are they doing? What is the secret sauce? And I spent a couple of years just learning and building the relationships. And what I realized is, you know, I was probably overthinking it. And I, I, all I had to do is be authentic. These are the things I'm good at. And I, I like connecting and helping others. And if I can help you, I would like to do that before you would help me. And I just have a giver's mindset. So I have a giver's gain kind of a mindset. And it goes back to being I had supported our taglines. But I just kind of had that mindset. I always give first without expectation. Um, and I'd like to help every person I meet. So you know, I always make it a, a, a personal kind of mission to every person I meet to give them at least one introduction that could be beneficial or life-changing to them. And that's just my commitment. And I've been doing that for years. And uh, I, I kind of feel good about it. I love it. I love it. That so resonates who we are at Full Stack and kind of our disposition in business as well. We just kind of say, hey, it's an abundant mindset, right? There's always enough. There will always be enough. And so that frees me up to be able to be generous and to be kind and to be benevolent. And there, there's so much health that comes from that type of mentality. It all starts in here. I mean, your health really starts in your mind. I mean, that's what a lot of people, like anybody that wants to make absolute change in their life and they, they're hating their life, they think they're kind of not going anywhere, take it. Take a step back and realize where you're at and what you're doing inside your head because it starts with you at first. You, you work from the inside out. Everybody sees the world differently. You know, everybody has a rose colored glasses that they're wearing and they're going to see, we can look at the same thing, me and you, and we're going to see two different things. Yep. I agree. Depends where your mindset, if you're in the abundance giver mindset, you're going to see all the positive, good things about it. But if you're in a negative mindset, you're going to see all the negative and bad things about that. And you'll be attracted to either one of those. So I just choose not to be attracted to anything negative. And as soon as I feel that I cut that, I try everything I can do to avoid negative emotions. Even when I do it, I am still human. You know, emotion state is only going to last 90 seconds in your body unless you perpetuate it. So what I do is I let that cycle run through, but I don't feed it. You know, like, 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 oh my God, like something really bad happened. Like say I lost my job. Oh my God, it's the end of the world. Instead of like keep reiterating that and bringing that back. Okay, I lost my job. That's, that's unfortunate. But, you know, what am I going to do about it? Maybe there's a reason for this. Maybe there's some other opportunity I should be doing. And the universe is just trying to say, hey, you know, it's time to move on. Maybe it's not a good fit for you. And a lot of people get uncomfortable in that unknown area. What I can say is get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's the only way you're really going to ever grow and take it from somebody who, you know, the, the world says I have a disability. I have ADHD. 
I'm clinically diagnosed a little bit with the autistic scale and the society says I'm broken or at least not able to kind of compete with everybody else. But I disagree. I think we all have our own positive and negative things we all can bring to the equation. We might not all communicate or see the world the same, but if we do things with good intentions and you try to help others, the world opens up for you. I mean, it's amazing to see those types of things. And that's one of my things as somebody who's come close to dying a few times. I try to go out of my way to be the best version of myself and help others that strangers on the street, uh, somebody at the store, like yet yeah, just do random acts of kindness. And you'll be surprised at the amazing things that, and, and good things that'll come out of that one small little effort. And I don't know, this kind of hopefully I can inspire some people to do a little better there and think for somebody who's come from nothing. I shouldn't be here. I, I died. I, I, would, I shouldn't even be sitting in this chair, but I am and I'm here. And, you know, I mean, hopefully that's inspirational for some others. You know, I, I've seen people die in front of me. My dad committed suicide. I mean, I've seen the worst that humanity can throw at me. I should be mean and bad and angry at the world and none of those. I think you just have to kind of let go of some of those things that are hard to let go. And when you do, that's, that's freedom. So I don't know. I hope that's inspirational for some others. I'm trying to inspire people to be better. And I do that all the time in my own personal life. It's just, you know, business is business, but that's just a vehicle for me to do things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't, and I'm not driven by the money part. I mean, God, I don't even know. I mean, so I'm, I got to make a lot of money all the time and now I got to keep people happy and do the right thing. It's that simple. And I think I just do that every day. I wake up every day. My Saturdays and Sundays are like your Monday and Tuesdays. <laughs> so, you know, I never stop working and uh, I do enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of neat. Not for everybody. Um, you know, sometimes people just want to have a nine to five, but if you ever go in that business route and you need any uh, kind of guidance, I'm all ears. I'm reaching on a lot of stuff. And I know you guys have a you know, good following here too. I'm just looking to help people have a better life if they like. Love it. I love it. Thanks so much, Mac. I appreciate it. One last question. If you were to kind of say um, one thing that you would advise somebody that's kind of uh, considering entrepreneurship, what advice would you give to them? Is there like kind of one thing that you would advise them on? Talk to as many people as you can. Okay. Uh, And also try to reach out to people like yourself or other business owners that have been there and and, and get their personal opinion. It, It might be intimidating, but we're all people. It doesn't matter if I'm a business owner or an employee. We're still humans. And, you know, most humans would run, would pretty, pretty okay with sharing yourself, unless they're a narcissist, ego driven person. You'll find out that really quickly. Uh, but there's most people are generally good people. And if you just have a conversation, say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about getting the business of doing this, the best thing you could do as a business owner or an entrepreneurship is build your network. I spent 10 years meeting people and I probably meet about a thousand people a year. The more people you meet, the better off you'll be in life, no matter what you do. That's the best way to put it. You know, you never know. You might meet a future employer, a future customer, future friend, you know, but when you connect to others, I think the universe also rewards you too. I believe when you give to, to other people and help them connect to others, the universe is like, oh, okay, cool. I'll, I'll connect you more. It just, it's like a flower opening up. It's an amazing concept. When you start having that giver's mindset, the world opens up to you. It might be counterintuitive, but I know you say you always have that abundance mindset, but there's been times when I was almost out of money in the company. Even when I was doing that, I was still giving back to people less fortunate myself. I was still having that abundance mindset, even though it was like, I've been in situations where most people run for the hills and most normal people would. I'm like Rocky. I was down to last punch. And like, you know, 
I'm not sharing a story. Like there was a time I had to go to litigation. I picked up the wrong customer. I lost over $600,000 in a year. And that was down to basically $100 in my operating account. That should have $100,000 in it to cover payroll. I got the call that next day from the lawyer that said, hey, you won the case. And then within a week, I got my money and I was survive- I survived, but I was down to $100. Most people would have jumped off a bridge or quit or give up by then. I did not. I learned a lot about myself. I don't know if I, decide, I just don't know how to quit or I'm like, this is an idiot. I don't know what it is, but I tell you what, you know, the best thing you can do in being an entrepreneur is being tenacious because there's going to be a lot of people to say no. There's going to be a lot of people don't believe in what you do. There's going to be all these people that give you opinions about why you can't do this. But if you believe in it and you have your true north to there and you really love and you have passion towards it, you will be successful. There's nothing they can do to stop you. So that's the best advice I could give is somebody who's an entrepreneurship. I shouldn't have been an entrepreneur. I was never, I was never meant to be, but I ran into a situation where I just felt like I was working for people that just weren't valuing me, weren't the right fit for me. And it just something inside me said I had to do something and I did it and I never looked back. That's great. If people wanted to connect with you on Twitter, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Yeah. I, I have a couple Twitter handles. My personal one I use is MacGyver Media um, and it's just M-A-C-G-U-I-V-E-R Media. And uh, you can find me. I have a lot of followers there. I'm very active on it. It's more so than even LinkedIn. I have a good followers on LinkedIn and TikTok and stuff, but I tend to be on Twitter more. Um, I know it can be a garbage pile, but you know, I tend to, you know, a lot of people are there. I, I use it for good, not bad. I spread a lot of, you know, give back to people as fortunate. I do, do things in social media that others don't. Um, but find me on there. Easy to reach out to me. I'd love to help. You know, I'm always have an open ear for anything with entrepreneurship technology, blockchain, Bitcoin stuff. I'm just a nerd. Um, I love sharing and helping people. Uh, if you write in any scams in this area too, we are part of the FBI Infogar. We take down scammers and bad people too. So some people reach out to me for those unfortunate events, but we're just generally the good guys trying to help others in this area. If you run into issues, we could probably help. I love it. Thank you so much for this time, man. I really enjoyed it. And that is such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Yeah, man, that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.